You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me... Being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of a lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. Hello and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast, where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, and so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us be better leaders. Our great coach on this episode is Muffet McGraw. Muffet is an American basketball coach who led the women's team at Notre Dame for 33 seasons. In all, she led the team to nine Final Fours, seven championship games, and two NCAA championships in 2001 and 2018. She was inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2011 and received the John Wooden Legends of Coaching Award in 2017. Muffet has great energy, and some of the highlights from our fantastic discussion include her thoughts on empowering young women and doing this through a mixture of listening and encouraging them to use their voice to talk about the things that are important to them. How believing in people after they fail at something is one of the most important things a leader can do. And her view that women are often not taught that it is okay to be competitive and ambitious. And the work she does to help women understand that it is okay to be like this both on and off the court. And just before we go to the interview, today's podcast is brought to you by the Macquarie University Business School's MBA program. Designed to empower, challenge and transform, 
the Macquarie MBA gives you the business skills and knowledge you need to succeed in an evolving global economy. The program bridges the gap between theory and real-world application, bringing together world-leading professors, executives, and industry partners to teach you how business can be used for good. I have just started working with the team at Macquarie on some projects and can attest to the quality of the people and material. To find out more, search for Macquarie University Business Schools MBA. And now, please enjoy our interview with Muffet McGraw. You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Muffet McGraw, good morning, my time. Good afternoon, your time. And welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. I'm so excited to be here, Paul. No, Muffet, I have been chasing you for a good couple of years, so I think I, my excitement might be a little greater, but thank you for saying that anyway. Muffet, you have had an astonishing career. We're going to get into the depth of that career and the people that you've met along the way, but when I was looking at the great coaches you've worked with, I can see Jim Foster, Digger Phelps, and Lou Holtz, the football coach. But you've coached against some of the great ones too. You coached against Pat Summit. You coached against uh, Gino Ariyama. I'm sure there's been many, many others that you've met along your journey as well. But I'm really intrigued, Muffet, from this perspective, seeing these people up close, what is it you think the great ones do differently that sets them apart? Well, I think for one thing, they're very open about sharing their knowledge. And I think that is so important. When I was at Notre Dame, my first couple of years, you know, I walk down the hall and say, Digger, would you mind spending a little bit of time with me? We're going to put the one, three, one in. And I, and I want to know what you think about that. And then coach Holtz was so good about, he'd talk to our recruits about Notre Dame. He would talk to me. And one of the things he told me that I've followed since then was you always praise in public, you critique in private. That's not always easy for a coach to do, but that was something that I thought, yeah, I, I can see why that's important. Uh, Jim Foster was my mentor. I mean, I leaned on him my entire career for anything that I needed help with, and he was just phenomenal. But Pat Summit, I think, was the greatest coach of all time. She was somebody that wanted to grow the women's game. That's She, she didn't care about Tennessee so much as what's good for women's basketball. We played them one time and got beat badly, as we normally did. And I called her after the game and I said, would you mind giving me the scouting report on Notre Dame? What did you think? What should we have done differently? What, you know, what would you say? You're sitting on the other bench watching us. What are some things you can help me with? We talked for 45 minutes about some things she thought I could do to help my team. And so when you have people like that at the top, you, you just know they're, they're successful for a reason. It's about the relationships they have with people and it's about being willing to share. Well, talking about relationships, you became a head coach for the first time in 1979, but you were only 24 and you wouldn't have been a lot older than the people you were coaching. So the relationship dynamic must have been an interesting one. What what do you remember most about that experience as you reflect on it now? Well, when I look back and I've asked the girls the same thing, and I said, gosh, I was only a few years older than you. They said, yeah, but you were married. You just seemed so old. <laughs> I think at that time, uh, I guess I felt a little bit like I was uh, older than they were. Honestly, being at Lehigh was great for me because a lot of things, that was back in the 80s, there wasn't a lot of attention paid to us. I think the AD hired me and I never saw him again. I mean, he didn't come to any games. So I got to make my mistakes kind of in private, you know, without the spotlight on me. 
and getting that that relationship with the team and understanding what they wanted. But I was demanding. I was competitive. I wanted to win. I didn't really understand how important those relationships were. I think there was a definite coach player hierarchy there. I think when I started my career, I was more of a dictator. You know, I was, it was, I wasn't asking their opinion. I was telling them, this is what we're going to do. And that's one of the things I learned throughout my career is that you have to put more into the relationship. That's how you have success. Buffett, I'd like to pick up on that change when you moved from being a dictator. But, but first, I'd like to ask you about something interesting you just said. You talked about making your mistakes in private. And I was at a function last night with a, with a, a large group of young Olympic coaches and the topic came up around mistakes. And I was sort of fascinated listening to them because of this idea, I think, particularly in the corporate world, where you want to fail often and fail fast in order to move forward. But that wasn't the feeling in the room. So as you cast your mind back to that time, how has your relationship with making mistakes changed from that point to where you are today? Well, it's changed dramatically. I think there's a great book by Carol Dweck called Mindset, and it talks about some people have a fixed mindset, some people have a growth mindset. I had a fixed mindset. I mean, I was just, it was all about winning. It was about, um, this is what we have to do. We've got to move on. It was never about, let's learn from the mistakes that we've just made. Let's figure out where we went wrong. And that's that's something as a coach, of course, you have to watch that film and see, here's where we went wrong. What did I do at practice that didn't prepare us? What could I have done differently in the game? Looking at yourself in the mirror, constantly reevaluating the plan and how you went about implementing it. And I think that's where I learned that it's it's failure is good. I mean, losing, you learn so much more about your team than you do when you win. As long as it's not the last game of the year, <laughs> you don't want to lose that one. But along the way, we've lost so many games that I look back on and I think we really grew from there. And a, a lot of times, I don't know if it's just women, but sometimes they they can take it more personally um, than, than men do. And I think what you have to do is be able to open up and say, it's not about how I looked. Everybody in the crowd is not looking at me saying, you're the one that should have done this. I look bad. It's not about how you look. It's about the opportunity to do it better the next time. What did you learn? And that's what I tried to do with my team. I'd go around the circle and say, tell me one thing you learned, one thing you're going to do differently next time. In many of your interviews, you describe yourself as an educator first and a coach second. Was this, was this always the case? You know, I think our job as coaches, obviously, we're going to teach them about the game of basketball. But what we're really doing is preparing them for life. Our job is to teach them life skills. They're going to learn great things like mental toughness, how to handle adversity. What happens when you have an injury and you're going to miss a few games and you got to be in the training room rehabbing that? What happens when you're not a starter? You're not even playing as much as you want. You've got to learn patience, waiting for your opportunity. You're going to learn about teamwork. Sometimes you have to sacrifice some of the things that you did in high school, these shot the ball anytime they wanted. They did whatever they wanted. Now it's about being on a team. What are you going to add to this team? What are you going to bring to us every single day that we can count on? About that teamwork, that perseverance, that relentlessness in pursuing your goals. All of these things you learn through playing sports. And then when you get out in the world, in the business world and in, in marriage and your life, you're going to fall back on these things. And now I, I know I can get through this because I have the mental toughness to do that. Many, many of the, the women you coached have gone on to successful careers in the sporting world, the business world, and in community life. 
the list is actually, I was going to put a question in about it, Muffet, but the list is just a little too long. But when these these uh, women come back and they talk to you about their time at Notre Dame, what are the kind of themes that come up? What 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 do they talk about that resonates with you? Well, one one thing, one player who's in the WN, just a great player, she said, you know, honestly, I didn't think I had it in me. You pulled something out of me that I didn't even think I could do. You made me believe that I could do it. And she reached her potential. And for me, that moment when I see a player in the game, in a situation where they just rise to the challenge, they meet their potential, they can kind of relax and go like, I did it, I did it. You know, I thought I could play at this level and now I know that I can. And suddenly they're just walking a little straighter. Their confidence is growing. You can just see the change in them. So I love when they come back and they, you know, they want to talk about, remember that time <laughs> you said this to me? And I, I rarely remember those because I only remember the good things. Um, and they said, you know what, you, you, you really taught me a lot. And you taught me a lot about what it's going to be like for me. I had one call me recently and say, I was just in a meeting. There were 25 men. She's in the business world. And I was the only woman. And I just started thinking about some of those things that you would say to us about using your voice and making sure that you make your mark. You were, you were very competitive from a young age. I think that's, yeah. yeah okay. So I wanted just to confirm that. Um, but you also found a way to combine that competitiveness with humility. Now, that's not easy to do. And I say that as a, as a father of two daughters. I know that's something that he's talked about a lot in a lot of the, uh, the literature about raising, raising girls. But what have you learned about working with women when it comes to competitiveness? I think one of the problems that we have as women is that we're not taught to compete. We're not taught that it's okay to be competitive. It's okay to be ambitious. It's okay to be aggressive and take risks and go for what you want. We're taught to get along, to be a team player, to not make waves, be a good daughter. So when these girls come out, sometimes um, they're always kind of holding back a little bit and they're, they're really not giving it all. And so trying to teach them that when you're on the court, it's different. You can be a different person when you get on the court than you are when you're in your in your life. But when you're out on the court, this is what I expect. This is what I demand, that you are going to be aggressive and taking risks and going for it and giving it your all. And then at the end of the day, if we lose the game, at least you can say that. You can look in the mirror and you said, I gave it my best. I did everything I could do. Everything I could control, I controlled and then we move on and see what happens next. But girls, are, we're not raised that way. We, uh, we're, just, we're just raised to be empathetic and sympathetic and good. It's so interesting you say that because just, just yesterday, I, was, I found a research paper from 2020 that said 94% of Fortune 500 female CEOs played college sports. And it was such an interesting statistic. I don't know why it interested me so much perhaps that it wasn't a hundred or that it was so high, but I think you're right. I think there's something in that normalizing competitiveness, which then helps when you move out into, to other domains. No question about it. I, I've read that same stat and, and it's not surprising to me because of the competitive part of team sports and all, all of the things of team sports that you learn, but really being able to go out and just knowing like, I'm going to work as hard as I can to be the best. I want to be the best. I want to win and I want to be number one. And those are things that women, like I said, we're just not taught to, to live that way. Well, let's talk about winning. Um, 
There's many, many articles about your winning statistics. 848 career wins, two NCAA victories, 32 winning seasons. This is a lot of a lot of the word winning comes up time and time again. But I just it just made me wonder, Muffet, can a focus on winning ever get in the way? I oh, I think it does. And actually, we never talk about winning. Winning is kind of a byproduct of what you do every day. When I was in the locker room before a game, I didn't say, we're going to win this game and, you know, big speech about winning. We didn't talk about that because I thought sometimes it can bring a little pressure on the team as well. You know, we have to win this game. So we talked about here's what we're going to do. We're going to control these things. We're going to stay in the moment. We're going to let the mistakes go. Um, We're going to follow the game plan. We're going to do these things. And if we do these things, the end result will happen, but we can't control that. You can't control when the ball is in the basket. You can't control sometimes what the other team is doing. So you have to control what you can control. But if you focus on winning and just winning, you're not going to be successful because there's so many more things that you're learning throughout the game. And it's about reaching your potential and doing what you can do every day. One of the changes I've made as a parent after so many of these interviews is when my daughters would come in from playing sport, it's natural, I think, to say to them, how did you go? Did you win? And I've just stopped that now because it's sort of, it's not as relevant. You know, did you have fun? How did you play? Was the teamwork good? How was the coach? I always ask that question. And I think then <laughs> I think they're winning, I think they're winning comes as a result of that. But it's a it's an interesting environment that you were in because winning meant that you kept your job. And so yeah. in the back of your mind, there must have been this thought that winning was something that was going to determine your future. Well, I believe me, I want to win. And I hate to lose more than I like to win. So I did not want to lose. And and for me, it was always in the back of my mind. I just felt like it wasn't healthy to talk to the team about how important winning is. They knew they knew how much I wanted to win. And I recruited very competitive women who also had that drive to win and that kind of relentlessness that they weren't going to let anybody take something from them. So I, I think that was that was really the important part. But I think you're absolutely right about the way we talk to our kids about sport. We try to tell, hey, you should shoot more. You're the best player out there. You need to do this more. And instead of saying, gosh, I loved how hard you worked. I love how your teammates look to you. It looked like you guys really had fun. I love the way you made eye contact with the coach. And when the referee made a bad call, you handled it so well. Just trying to praise them on those kind of things. Because when you start building them up, of you're the best, you're the best, you're the smartest, you're the best, that puts pressure on them. And then they think that's their identity. Like, my mom's not going to like me if if we lose this game because of the way she talks to me. In fact, I read a study and they asked kids, who do you want to ride home with after the game? And like 90% of them said the grandparents because you know they weren't judging them. The parents were asking the wrong questions. That's utterly fascinating. I'm going to, do you remember any more about that study? I'll put a link to it in the show notes. That's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't. I read that quite a long time ago. And I've ever since then thought about how you praise your kids is really important. We'll find it online. I'm sure someone listening will help us with that. Muffet, I have a great quote from you I'd like to play back before I ask the question. You say, our main job, at least for me, is to empower women, to build confidence in women, to talk about the life skills that they are going to learn that are going to really help them throughout their lives. Now, it's the empowering part of that just caught my eye. It's a wonderful, wonderful quote, but the empowering part's an interesting one. And when you're reflecting on the arc of your career and how you've empowered the people around you, 
Have you found some techniques or ideas that work better than others? Yeah, I have. And, and honestly, you would be surprised at the level of talent, the intelligence, these women to go to the University of Notre Dame. They're so, so smart. They're so talented. The one thing they all have in common was that they could lose their confidence so easily. Some of them easier than others. And for women that, you know, have a swagger, that wasn't really that acceptable a long time ago. So for me, building confidence, I thought that was my main job. How do you do that? How do you empower women? And how do you build their confidence? The first thing, you have to be a good listener. You have to let them talk. You have to ask questions. At practice, I would go to them and say, okay, here's how we're guarding the ball screen. What works for you? What did you think looked good today? And ask them a lot of questions. So they would start to think, wow, she values my opinion. And I really listened to what they said. I didn't just hear words coming out. I tried to get behind what they were really talking about. I think for a leader, the four most important words you can ask anyone is, what do you think? Because leaders don't do that often enough. Sometimes I tell you what I think. And then I say, well, what do you think? Well, of course, you're going to agree with me if you're a player and looking at the head coach. So trying to ask them those questions without them thinking, I I don't have anything in mind. I'm asking you, what do you think about this? And I would have players come in and they would say, hey, I watched this game last night. What do you think if we tried this? And I would say, yeah, you know, that that sounds good. Let's give it a try. So kind of using their suggestions, I think at least at practice, that gave them a little bit more confidence, having the confidence to tweet something about social justice. And I would say, if you really believe in something, something that you feel is wrong and you want to say something about it, you have to feel comfortable using your voice. So really getting them to use their voice and backing them up when they did. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You talked earlier about the transition you made from, from being a dictator coach. Was there a, a moment or an event when this realization suddenly came to the front of your mind that you needed to change? Oh, I, I did a 180 in my career. I mean, I started out, I was Bobby Knight, who was like, my way or the highway, this is how we're doing it. I come home, my husband say, what does the team think? I was like, what do they think? I'm not asking them what they think. That's my job to tell them what to think. Uh, I, I never asked their opinion I didn't have a great relationship with them off off the court. You know, it was, it was pretty good, but it was mostly coach player. It was never really a deeper relationship. And then as we went on in the generations changed, because when I started, kids expected the coach was going to just tell them what to do. Then they started to ask, why, why would I do that? You know, this, this generation Y had a lot of questions and each generation wanted to have more input. They wanted to have the buy-in. And I knew that to be successful, They're the ones that had to set the goals of the team. They had to give the mind. They had to say, this is what we want to accomplish. In the beginning, I was telling them, this is what I want to do. And here's how you're going to do it. 
And then I got to the point where I realized it was up to them. I'd go to the back of the room, give them the marker, go up to the board. You write down the goals. What do you want to accomplish? What do we have to do every day in order to reach those goals that you decided you wanted? And so giving them that power um, to determine, you know, outcome and things and asking them questions, getting their input, taking their input. Um, I became a more collaborative, more democratic leader. I wasn't going to ask them what play they wanted to run at the end of the game when we're down one. Um, but they knew at different times they were going to have more input, especially at practice, to see, you know, you're a part of this. What do you think? Was this pre the uh, the NCAA victories? You know, it was around 2001, and that's that was our first championship team, and that was when I noticed, you know, generation was changing a little bit, and they, you know, they were a little bit different uh, than the than the groups ahead of them. So, I think for them, and I started to enjoy it more when I got to know them, and I thought, wow, I've been missing out, you know, having this relationship. When you have it with them off the court, they make those mistakes you're a little more forgiving, you know, you because you have a different relationship with them. So I found that I, I enjoyed it more. Um, I love the way their, you know, their team chemistry was kind of shaping up. And I thought this is a much better way to, you know, to have a team. And that was the chemistry of the team was so important. Muffet, your second book, Expect More, Dare to Stand Up and Stand Out, came out in 2021. And one of the key principles you talk about is this idea of assuming you are the best. And you actually say, and this is the quote, remember that real leadership comes when you learn to use your voice and no longer doubt that you are the most qualified person for the job. And you've actually talked about that voice already in this interview, but it was the last part of the quote that caught my eye. And when I wanted to ask you about doubt, particularly given the fact that the people you've got are sort of 18 to 22, they're in transition. They're still young people that are away from home, many for the first time. And so what have you learned about helping people with their self-doubt? One of the biggest things I learned was believing in people after they fail is really hard. And that is one of the most important things a leader can do. Because it's easy to be on the same page. Oh, you're winning. You're scoring. Everything's going great. Yeah, I love you. All of a sudden, they miss a free throw and we lose the game. They do something you know, in the game and, and they're, you know, they're not playing well. They're making a lot of mistakes. And how you handle that. Do you stop believing in them? No, you, you can't. And so that was a tough lesson to learn for me because I I wasn't always somebody that would encourage them like, no, no, that's okay. I'm like, no, go sit down. Let me get somebody else in here that's going to do the job. And then I learned I'm killing their confidence by doing that. So how do I help them? So now after a game when they played poorly, I can say, hey, you know what? Just Flush it, move on. Don't even worry about that. One bad game, it doesn't have anything to do with the player that you are. Um, you have to, you know, maybe learn from it, see what you can learn from it, and then move on. And don't get on social media. You don't need to read that because nobody's on there saying what a great player you are. They're on there trying to tear you down. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because in the corporate world, you don't have license or permission to talk to people about their self-doubt. It's just not... It's not as it's not part of the job the way it is with coaching, and yet it seems to be such a huge part of the role because that doubt fluctuates. It goes up, it goes down, and it never really stays on a on an even keel. Well, maybe it does, but it doesn't the coaches don't seem to play that back to me. It, it undulates, and social media is an amplifier of that. 
Yes, social media can be a bad thing. I like to tweet and run. I uh, turn off the notifications. I don't care what you say because I know I believe what I said. (laughs) That's all I care about. Um, But it's different when you're 18 to 20 years old. But, you know, we all have doubts. Throughout my career, I had doubts. People talk about the imposter syndrome. You know, there's so many things. And I think women maybe have a few more doubts than men because we don't have that innate confidence that men seem to have. And so I think you need that support behind you. You always have to have that support group, somebody propping you up and saying, you can do it. I believe in you. And, and to continue to you know, read positive stuff, look for ways to, uh, to have some positive affirmation because you need those people in your corner. You need that core group of, of people. And they didn't know anything about basketball. They didn't know anything about coaching. They believed in me. And I, I needed to kind of rely on them sometimes down and they could pick me back up and say, you know, you got to let that go. You can do this. Earlier, you talked about chemistry uh, and you, you actually def- uh, talked about it as being something that was important for you and your teams. And I've got a nice quote from you and you actually say, it's all about chemistry for me. Everybody doesn't fit here. And it just, it's such an intangible term. And I'm wondering, Muffet, what you've learned about the building box of great chemistry in teams. One of the things I learned, and I think a lot of people do this when they're about to get married, they see the flaws and they go, I can fix that. I'm going to change that. (laughs) And at some point I realized, you know what? You're not going to change that. They're 18. This is the way they're going to be. So we looked for red flags. When I would go to a game, I'd hope it was a close game. I hope they'd lose. I hope the ref made a couple of bad calls. I hope the coach yelled at them. I wanted to see them in a kind of a pressure situation and see how they reacted. How's their team looking at them? They should be the best player on the team. They should be the leader. So is the rest of the team like looking at them like, yeah, I want you to lead us to, you know, to this game. What are you doing when you make a pass to somebody and they miss a wide open shot? Are you giving bad body language? Are you looking up in the stands at your parents going, what, you know, I, I can't look at the coach. I got to look at my dad. Um, so many things I, I talked about because being a great teammate is like the best compliment you can get. So when you look at kids, they're ranked in the top five and they're really good players, a great teammate. And I don't want anybody on my team that's not going to be a great teammate. What advice do you have then for people on being a great teammate? Well, I think it's all about the intangibles. It's about making the sacrifices. It's about encouraging people. It's about being positive. Uh, all the time, especially in, in, you know when things aren't going well. That's what you need. You you always have that someone um, that's on the bench that's cheering you on despite how things are going in the game. Uh, I think it's I think it's about it's not about winning and losing at all. I mean, it's not about playing, scoring, and, and who did the best. It's about that relationship and how you're how you're helping each other to grow and being a part of something big, even if it's a small part. And I think for me making everybody feel like what they're doing is so important. We couldn't be successful without you. Whether you're changing the court over from volleyball to basketball, or you're one of the marketing people, or you're in in the administration, or you're support staff and you're helping in the training room or something, no matter what your job is, all they want to do is feel like what they're doing is really important to us winning. And they're a part of it. So making people feel a part of that and letting them know by saying thank you. I mean, I think please and thank you. People don't say that anymore. People don't appreciate what people are doing. Yes, it's your job, but it's still nice for somebody to say, thanks for doing your job. Thanks for doing what you're doing for us. We really appreciate it. And I think that's a lesson I tried to teach my team too. Uh, These days, Muffet, you're teaching a leadership course at uh, Notre Dame. 
Could you tell us about the syllabus and, and what it's centred around? Well, when I first started teaching, I said, give me the syllabus so I know what I'm doing. And they said, no, no, you make the syllabus. So I have new respect for teachers. <laughs> and, uh, it was uh, a long process. This is my, I think, my third year. So I, you know, obviously making a lot of changes. But sports leadership is leadership. It, it's the same thing in business as it is in sports. But it's basically anecdotal things I've learned throughout my coaching career. Uh, we, we start with a lot about you, about your personality. We take a personality test. We talk about self-awareness and emotional intelligence and how important that is. It used to be all about IQ. You get a job because you're smart and you can do the job and you're competent. Now it's about that emotional intelligence, how you relate to people, social awareness, relationship awareness. And this generation is kind of lacking in self-awareness. I think that's something they can learn. Then we talk, obviously, just about leadership and, and uh, different leaders. We, you know, we look at um, Jack Swarbrick, our athletics director. He came in and talked to the, to the group about his leadership style. Um, and then we go on to culture. Culture is so important in any organization. Building a winning championship culture, that takes a lot of time. We talk about core values and what do you have to have to have a good culture? Um, you know, what's important? And we look at different different teams and how they, they use their culture. We read a great book called The Captain Class, and it talks about the captain, how important they are in an organization, whether the middle manager or whether they're the captain of a team. And that responsibility to be the bridge, to be a partner with, with the head coach and how to you know build consensus and go back and forth with things. So it's a lot of teamwork kind of things, and uh, it's a lot of fun. When you reflect on your career, and you're standing in this class and you're, you're, you're talking to them, you're talking to the students. What do you, what are the lessons on leadership that you share with them? Because in all those examples, you talked about somebody else. I'm really keen to see what, what Muffet McGraw says when, when she talks about leadership to those young people. Well, what I tell them, my kind of points of leadership, number one is vision. The leader has to have vision. You got to know where you want to go. And it has to be something you're passionate about, something compelling enough that people are going to want to follow you. Well, that's pretty easy when you're saying, I want to win a national championship. People want to follow that. Uh, but having that vision is really key. You got to know where you're going. And the second part is, how are you going to get there? You have to have a plan. This is what I'm going to do for you. If you come here to this school, I'm going to make you an All-American because these are the things I know. I know how to get a team to win. I know how to get them to play together. You have to create a culture of belonging and being inclusive. You have to, like, everybody on the team has to feel like I was saying earlier, they're a part of it. They're, they're so important. Everybody from the best player to the last kid on the bench, they have to feel like what they're doing is really important. you got to learn how to listen. Listening is a huge skill that people – especially a, a lot of leaders, they don't listen enough. They don't ask questions enough. And that's so important to be able to ask questions to say, what do you think? How is, how is this going? And, uh, and then a commitment to excellence, you know, knowing that this is, this is kind of the bar that we're setting. Here's our core values. You know, we're going to compete every day. We're going to have uh, trust with each other. Accountability is really important to me. Uh, and being able to trust each other enough honest with each other. So having honesty, trust, and accountability, kind of three of our big core values. Muffet, if I could take you back in my little time machine, which I've got parked downstairs in the garage, and I could introduce you to that girl who was playing basketball with the boys back in 1966 on those concrete courts, knowing what you know now, what would you say to her? 
you know, when I look back, even on my coaching career and, and I look at my first job and I think, oh, my God, I didn't know anything. How did I even do that? Uh, I think I would say find your voice sooner. I, I think I waited too long to really speak my mind and to be the kind of role model that people would listen to. Um, I just I was all caught up in my own little world. I didn't get involved in things. And then I started to get involved in our coaches association, started to become um, somebody that would stand in front of the group and, and talk about some issues in women's basketball and then start to use my platform to talk about women, hiring women. Why don't we have more female coaches? Why don't we have more women in power? And we can change that. But we need people to apply for the job. You have to put yourself out there. And I was somebody even when Notre Dame opened, I didn't want to apply. I didn't think I was going to get that job. And my husband kind of forced me to send in my resume. So I wish I would have had more confidence. I wish I would have believed in myself a little bit more. You talk about finding your voice and hiring more women. Of course, there's that famous speech that you gave at the NCAA tournament, and you've spoken about it so much that I didn't want to ask you a question about it again. But do you think that that will be your legacy, Muffet? Do you think that's what people will, ref- the people you've you've coached and led, do you think that's what they will reflect on? I do. I think they'll look at women differently. And I think that hiring women is something that's so important. It's been proven that when men and women work together in corporations, on boards, on different things, that organization just does better because you have a diversity of thought. You have people that are looking at things, a different perspective. So having men and women work together. I was big on hiring women. Uh, I think having women in positions of power are really important. Uh, And I've read so many articles about that and how women just they don't apply for the job, how we promote incompetent men because men win the interview because of their confidence. Women don't win the interview, but they're competent enough to do the job and the skills needed to win the interview aren't always the same as what's needed to win the job. So athletic directors and, and people in business, men in particular, look at a guy comes in, he's confident, he's saying, we're gonna take you to a national championship, we're gonna win. And the women are saying, you know, my staff, my team, we're going to work together and we're going to achieve good things. But it doesn't sound the same. But I think what they're saying is they can lead a team, but they just need the opportunity. And I think we need to do a better job of hiring women. Well, you talked earlier about listening better and asking better questions. So to the men that are listening who are in the position of of hiring or in the room when that situation you just described happened, what advice would you like to give them about well, asking? They have questions? to understand, you know, and everybody who's married knows this. Men and women are different. We're, we're very different. When a job opens, women aren't going to march into the boss's office and say, you need to hire me. Here's why. Men are going to do that. And so women are kind of sitting back waiting for someone to notice how they're good at their job because they think they're good at their job, but they don't know what the boss thinks because they don't ask the questions. They don't go into the boss and say, you know, once a year, people have an end of the year meeting. Like you need to go in more often and say, what do you think I need to do to be a manager? Does your boss know that you want to be the manager? And so I think maybe the men could help women by saying, hey, why don't we talk about your future? What are you interested in? Do you want to be in in a leadership position? Do you want to advance in this company? What are some things I can do to help you do that? And again, it's it's just asking questions and having that conversation so that they can say, like, here's some things I think you need to work on. People are afraid to be honest. They go in that meeting and they just want to say, like, you're doing a great job. Well, specifically, what am I doing? What are my strengths? Do you see me in a leadership role? So I think just getting together, having that communication and understanding 
Women aren't going to come in and ask for the job. We're not going to negotiate for a raise. We never get paid as much as we're worth. Men get more. They ask for a raise more often. They get more money. And we, we need to do a better job. We're very loyal. We're very committed. We don't want to leave. We don't want to, you know, upset anybody and say, I had this job offer because they're afraid they might let them go. So I think we just need to have better communication and men can certainly start that conversation. I think honesty and men needing to start that conversation is a pretty good place for us to finish. Muffet, I'm so glad I had the tenacity to keep chasing you after all these years. It's been a great interview. You've had such a successful career and I, I can't wait to share this with the broader audience, including my two daughters. Awesome. Well, thank you, Paul. I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to listen. Thanks, Muffet. Take care. Bye. Hi, everyone. You have been listening to The Great Coach Muffet McGraw. I hope you got a lot out of Muffet's views on leadership and found a few ideas that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room or work table for discussion. When I listened back, some of the other key highlights for me were the way she dealt with her own imposter syndrome through her career, how a focus on winning can bring too much pressure and mean that you miss the learning opportunities and how she talks about the shift in her mindset and how this helped her to be more self-reflective as a leader and arrive at the insight that, quote, it's not about how you look, it's about the opportunity to do it better the next time. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. Just like Wade T, who after listening to our interview with John Kessel said, As a coach, I never want to be a young player's last coach. I always want to encourage them to learn the game and become very proficient at it so their confidence will grow. Thanks, Wade. We love the interaction with the people around the world who listen. And so if you have any feedback or comments, please let us know. And of course, if they're positive ones, then please let other people know too. All the details on how to connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.